Hi, and welcome to Portable History. I'm your host, Porter, and I welcome you to another episode. This is the second episode of the first season, which is on American history. We will be covering the American Revolution, starting with Paul Revere's ride and ending with the evacuation of Boston. I will be splitting the American Revolution into many parts, so this is only the first part. So don't worry, you'll get the full American Revolution soon. Now, before we dive in, here is a quick overview of last episode. During the 1700s, British and American relationships became strained as the British imposed lots of taxes on the Americans after the Seven Years' War. Tensions erupted into the Boston Massacre and the Boston Tea Party. Eventually, the colonists were so mad at the British, they were even thinking of breaking away from the Great Empire and declaring freedom from Britain. We will be picking up at the Battle of Lexington and Concord, the first battles of the Revolutionary War starting with the signal of British troop movements by Paul Revere. Now, let us begin. Paul Revere's ride is one of the most well-known events of the American Revolution. His ride starts on April 18th in Boston, where he and his companions set up a system to signal British troop movements. If the British went out by water, we would shoot two lanterns in the North Church steeple, If by land, one. When two lights went up around 10 o'clock, Paul Revere mounted his horse and raced to Lexington. In his way, he eludes a British patrol, and around 12, he gets to Lexington and warns the local militia. Through the night, some 800 to 900 British troops marched, and when they reached Lexington, they saw 70 militiamen waiting for them. When they met, they stood face to face, just looking at each other. Then suddenly, bang, a shot was heard. This shot is known as the shot that was heard around the world, and it sparked the American Revolution. No one knows who fired the first shot, but the outnumbered militiamen were forced to retreat to the British. After the defeat of the militiamen, the British continued their march to Concord, and when they reached it, they sacked the town. As the British were preparing to leave, another American force ambushed them, and the exhausted British were forced to retreat. On the way home, the exhausted British were ambushed again and again by patriots and militiamen as they fought for their freedom. After this, militiamen raced to Boston from all over the country to besiege the port, while the Second Continental Congress elected George Washington to be the commander-in-chief of the newly established Continental Army. But before the Continental Army could really form, some militiamen near Boston on the Charleston Peninsula dug in to Breeze and Bunker Hill on June 16th. The main fighting took place on Breed's Hill, where British troops swarmed up the hill. The Duggan Americans had to hold their fire because there was very little ammunition. The order was given, don't fire till you see the whites of their eyes. This does not mean the British were inches away, but that at only 150 yards away, the Americans opened fire. 
the first British wave, was mowed down, and the remaining forces retreated, but came back with reinforcements. At the end of the day, the British took Breed's and Bunker Hill after many waves, but there were a thousand British casualties and more than 400 American casualties. The British won a strategic victory, but the Americans had proved that they could hold against the British, and it greatly improved American morale. George Washington arrived in Cambridge two weeks after the battle and was unimpressed with the army. He had some 16,600 volunteers, who George Washington was determined to improve. He had served in the French-Indian War and was used to the structure, discipline, and training of the British Army. George Washington's first move was to improve his army. He sent Henry Knox, who had fought in the Battle of Bunger Hill, to Fort Ticonderoga to retrieve artillery from it. Henry and his brother William and a servant named Miller traveled 300 miles to the fort. The trip was expected to take two weeks on the trip back, but because of problems with the weather, it took an extra eight days to reach Boston, where George Washington was planning to attack. On March 2nd, the Americans started bombarding Boston. The British returned fire, but in the chaos, they did not realize that Henry's other artillery was being positioned on Dorchester Heights. On March 5th, the sixth anniversary of the Boston Massacre, the British looked up to see a formidable American position. The Americans had only a couple thousand men to set up fortifications on the heights, but they misled the British into thinking there was more troops. They even painted the logs black to pretend to be cannons. General Howe, the commander of the British Army in Boston, wanted to attack the Americans at night, but heavy winds caused the British ships to not be able to sail. So the attack was canceled, and the British began the evacuation of Boston. The entire siege of Boston was a gamble. Had the British figured out that half the American cannons were logs, they would have waited until the weather had cleared and attacked. Another factor is that George Washington did not have enough ammunition to actually fire all his cannons. So... After that first round that they fired at the British to confuse them, he couldn't have fended off a British attack, and the revolution could have ended there, just as it began. On St. Patrick's Day, the Redcoats finally fully evacuated Boston. Boston's long ordeal was over. Anticipating the British next move, Washington moved his army to New York in early April. Now, this part is funny. After the campaign, Benjamin Franklin contacted his friends at Britain and gave them this information. Britain, at the expense of three millions, has killed 150 Yankees this campaign, which is 20,000 pounds per head. And at Bunker Hill, she gained a mile of ground, half of which she lost again. During the same time, 60,000 children have been born in America. So Franklin is saying, what you're doing is pointless, and you should probably stop. You're going to go bankrupt. And indeed, Britain did go bankrupt. Though Franklin did say that they could probably calculate what they had to do to conquer America. So if Britain wanted to become broke, they could continue the war. 
At the end of the war, Britain was in debt 25 million pounds. That's about 36,570 billion pounds in today's money. A lot of other countries also contributed a lot of money to the war. Of course, the Americans contributed a lot of money, and at the end of the war, they too were in debt, and that is one of the reasons Hamilton created his national banks system. The French, at the end of the war, were in debt, and that is one of the reasons for the French Revolution. The lower classes were getting super heavily taxed. The Spanish also contributed to the American side of the war, as the French and the Spanish were both enemies of Britain. But Spain was able to pay off most of their debt really quickly, and so they didn't suffer so much financially. Well, that's the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed. We'll pick up next time with the drafting and signing of the Declaration of Independence.